The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Hosea found himself in such a manner. 
and on the opening chapters of Hosea, we, we see that God told this prophet to go and marry a woman called Goma. A woman who most likely had a reputation for loose morals. And this marriage turned out to be a living nightmare. For Goma would break Hosea's heart over and over again by constantly being unfaithful. By finding love in the arms of other men and doing so, spurning the love and the kindness and goodness of Hosea. I mean, even after she had abandoned him and, and brought children, most likely that a man, Hosea, under God's instruction, goes and brings her back, buys her back at great cost to himself from the slave market, and shows love to her again. What faithfulness! What faithfulness amidst unfaithfulness! And as we read through this, this book, we see that this marriage was to be a, a visual presentation and a, a lived-out parable, if you like, to the people of Israel of, of their covenant relationship with God and then how they themselves have been so unfaithful to a loving and faithful and compassionate and generous God. In fact, God has proved consistently faithful and loving towards His people time and time and time and time again, and they have proved unfaithful to him. Often rebelling against him, not willing to trust him, not willing to love him with all their hearts, but instead going, over, going after other gods. And so God, through his prophet Hosea, now moves beyond this, this enacted parable, if you like, and he's going to speak to his people directly. And in this, this, this couple of chapters today, we're going we're to look at, at a few different things. We're going to see God's charge to his people. We're going to see the corruption of the people. We're going to see the culprit who led the people in these ways. We're going to see the consequences of what are their actions. And finally, we're going to see the call to repentance. So that's where we're headed today in this in this particular message. So let's look together at verse 1 today because in verse 1 we see the charge that God brings towards to, to his people. Chapter 4 begins with these words. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. That word controversy means that God is bringing an accusation against his people. He's bringing a, a charge against them. And so the, the picture here, if you like, is of a, of a courtroom scene where God is the prosecutor and God is, is laying out his case against the people because they have broken their covenant relationship with him. And so he is going to hold them to an account. And yet, when we see this, the fact that this is this courtroom scene, so to speak, and God acting in this kind of prosecutorial role, but we, we can't lose sight of the fact that it's not just a legal issue that God has with these people about how these people have broken God's laws, but it is, it's more a relational issue. That the people have spurned and rejected God's love and God's faithfulness towards them. And the charge that God brings against his people is threefold. I've listed it up there 
on the uh, on the screen for us today. It's a threefold challenge. He said that there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. You know, these three things are key to any relationship. They are central to any relationship to exist and to thrive. That word faithfulness can also be translated truth or integrity, like I've got there on the uh, on the uh, on the slide. It speaks to the fact that you know, with the people, there was no honesty, or there was no uh, there was no uh, genuineness, if you like, in terms of their commitment to God within this relationship. They were just paying God lip service, if you like. This word that that term steadfast love. Of loyalty and devotion and affection, none of which the people had towards God. And both of these resulted from the fact that the people had no knowledge of God. This word knowledge here is, is referring more to, to just a, a correct theology, a mere head knowledge. It speaks of a, a recognition of a, of a person's obligations to their covenant partner, like a a husband and wife. In other words, it's, it results in a, a behaviour that, that demonstrates faithfulness and steadfast love. It's a, it's a knowledge that shows that the people truly know God, they truly know what, what pleases Him, and they know what offends Him, and it's a, it's a, it's a knowledge that results in, in a behaviour that wants to, to do the things that please Him and not do the things that displease God. It's an experiential knowledge that's being spoken of here that reflects an intimacy within the relationship. Now, many of you know my wife, Carl, so you might uh, know what she looks like. You might even know things about her. You might know that she works as a receptionist, or that she, she serves in the women's ministry committee here at church, or that she drives a white car. You might know stuff about her. You might know what she looks like. But yet, having lived with her as my wife for the last 32 years, I know her very well. I know her life. I know her dislike. I know what she's passionate about. I know what makes her happy. I know what aggravates her. Boy, do I know what aggravates her. Sometimes I do, very definitely. I know what makes her sad. The knowledge that I have of God, as we've, we've, we've grown together, we've, we've got to know each other more and more over the years, it's deepened my love and affection for Him. And because of that, it means that, you know, that I will try to do things within my capability to please her, that make her feel valued, that make her feel present, that seeks to honour her and to honour our marriage vows to one another. And folks, this is what it means to have this knowledge of God. It means that this, 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 that, that relationship that a husband and wife have should be similar in, in, in our relationship with God. You know, as we get to know God more and as we grow in our understanding of Him and His way, and we do that obviously through, through time in His Word as we get to know what God is like through how He's revealed Himself in His Word. As we get to experience that relationship with God, as we speak with Him, as we commune with God through times of prayer, as we as we experience, you know, the love and the, the grace of God, even through the, the through being with His people and through those interactions with His people, as we experience His work in our lives, 
you know, it's, it's, it's these sort of things that help us to, to know Him more. And as we experience His grace and His kindness and His goodness, as we experience His forgiveness and His salvation in Jesus Christ, as, as we experience even His loving discipline and correction in our lives, it should lead us to these people to, to seek to, to honor Him and to, and to live in such a way that pleases Him to refrain from and even remove from our lives the things that cause offense to God and that goes against His word, even detrimental to His creatures and to His word. We cannot truly say we know God and yet consistently live lives that have little regard for Him and His word. And yet, sadly, we see so many people do that today. Just like the Israelites, just paying God lip service. Acknowledging Him and, and, and knowing of Him, but yet not really knowing Him. Knowing stuff about Him, but not knowing Him. It's a question for us all to ask ourselves today. Do we really know God? Do you really know God? God says, you know, to the people of Israel, you know, if you do not know, really know me at all, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of me in the land of God says to his prophets. Instead, what we see is in, in, with the fact that because the people don't know him, in fact, there is, there, is, there is corruption that is broken out in the land that is just right within the land. And this is our second point this morning. We see this in verses 2 to 3 and verses 10 to 13 of chapter 4. So because the people lack this knowledge of God, they instead act in ways that is contrary to the ways of God. We see here in verse 2, God says there is swearing or, or cursing, if you like, or using, you know, using God's name, you know, to call down curses and using it in a way which is, which is, uh, you know, which trivializes God's name, which, which, which really uh, minimizes God's majesty and His glory. There is swearing and there is lying, there is murder and stealing and committing adultery. God says that, that they break all bounds, you know, they've just thrown off all the feathers, so to speak, and they're just rampant in sin. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. There is bloodshed upon bloodshed. Now, one of the things characteristic about the northern kingdom of Israel, particularly towards the end of its, uh, of its uh, um, uh, life, so to speak, before they carried off into uh, captivity in Assyria, is that there was, particularly within the the, uh, the, the, uh, the ruling families, there was this, all this bloodshed as, as people sort of sought to gain power. The kings uh, would, be, would be assassinated by others and they would take the, the throne and then they would kill all of the previous king's families. And this went on, you know, over a period of, of time and it was just, you know, this bloodshed upon bloodshed in the land. It's interesting as we look at, you know, at these particular things that God points out, they're all a breaking of the Ten Commandments. The covenant laws that God had laid before His people. Because when people reject a right and proper knowledge of God, it results in corruption and decay and devastation and sin just abounds. 
and people reject the right and proper knowledge of God. This is the result. But not only that, it also causes people to actually look at verses 10 and 11 this morning. It's speaking about priests here, but, but we'll see also that, that, that like the priests, the people were the same. That they shall eat but not be satisfied, they shall play the whore but not multiply, because they have forsaken the Lord. They turn their backs on God to cherish instead heaven, wine, and new wine, which take away their understanding. My people even inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. What, what God is saying here is that the people's rejection of God and the, the wisdom that comes from knowing Him and His ways just leads these people into stupidity and senseless out in the land. It's speaking about they, you know, they go after wine and new wine, and we see, you know, in here that it's speaking about you know this, this, this um, going after you know the the the, uh, the, 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 the passions, the desires of people, you know, just wanting to fulfil their own passions, particularly around alcohol. It's talking about here, and we see even in our own society today the consuming of large amounts of alcohol, the, the binge drinking, and the, the taking of all kinds of illegal drugs just to get that kind of that high. It just so often leads, doesn't it, to people you know lacking and, and acting without understanding in their lives, putting themselves and others in dangerous situations, and resulting in disastrous consequences, which sometimes actually last for a lifetime. It's interesting that Proverbs 23, 31 to 33 says, Do not look at wine when it is red, when it stumbles in the cup and goes down smoothly. For in the end it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. But not only do we see that, we also see that people starting to do pretty crazy sort of stuff, pretty foolish stuff. It says that people will inquire, you know, of a piece of wood. They will go to pieces of wood idols for their wisdom. They will, you know, their walking staff will give them oracles. We think, how crazy. And yet we see the same sort of things in our world today. I mean, right now, crystals are a huge thing in, 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 in our society. Well, people are thinking that, you know, we're having these crystals that it can give them a, a, a spiritual power or, a, or, or wisdom or insight into things. But we see people even, you know, not just going to crystals, but consulting the stars through the, you know, through the newspaper, you know, they read the stars every morning to make sure they, they find out what's going to happen for them during the day. I mean, how foolish to think that everyone who's born particularly within that star sign is all going to experience the same thing on the same day. It's crazy stuff. I mean, how foolish to think that we can get wisdom from such things as these. Or even go to things like tarot cards or reading the tea leaves in the bottom of a cup after we've drunk them. And yet people put so much emphasis and so much credence into such things. No wonder when we lose the knowledge of God, we start acting senseless and foolish and carry on. Basically, that a rejection of the knowledge of God that, that leads us to such places. And as the scriptures remind us, wisdom 
only comes from the Lord. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth and knowledge and understanding. We lose the knowledge of God and we reject that knowledge of God. Corruption follows very, very soon after. As we look uh, further into this passage, we see that, uh, that God is not only blaming the people, but he certainly has much to say to the leaders of the land as well. And we see this in the next point, which is the culprits in verses 4 to 9. As we come to verse 4 and finally see that God lays the blame for the state of the people and the society squarely at the feet of the priests, the religious leaders of the day. You know, priests in God's design had a great privilege in that they were called by God to represent the people to God and to represent God to the people. It was their responsibility to point the people to God through their example, to teach the people about God and His ways through His words, and to care spiritually for the people. And yet we see here that God is saying, you have failed in your task. What we see in the land is, is representative of the fact that you as leaders have not done what I called you to do. It reminds us afresh today that leaders in God's church have a tremendous responsibility to care for the people of God, to teach faithfully and truthfully God's truth, to model it in their lives, to protect the flock within their care. This not only refers to pastors, but it refers to all church leaders, to elders, to ministry leaders. It refers to leaders in our homes, to our parents. Sadly, we're seeing so many, particularly church leaders today, reject the knowledge of God instead to follow after worldly philosophies and worldly wisdom and teach that to the congregations instead. And we all have a responsibility to be careful in terms of who we listen to when it comes particularly to knowing God and knowing what God's Word says. We need to be very careful when we listen to with God's people. You know, with, with access, you know, so much access to the internet and social media, we're exposed to anyone today with an opinion. Absolutely anyone with an opinion. And most, some people have even got more than one opinion. And there are plenty of people out there who are professing to be experts and teachers of knowledge. The reality is that many of them are starlings. They're only in it for themselves. To gain popularity, to gain wealth, to gain a following. And we need to make sure that we understand that. One of the things that, you know, I, I often I would say to, uh, to my girls as they were growing up, that the things that they listened to, the messages they heard from the television or through social media, things like that, they needed to recognize that the people who were pushing those were pushing them with a specific agenda. You know, instead of the priests here in Israel calling the people to reject sin and, and to reject the shameful way, to, 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 to reject, you know, all these 
and they had idols and they spoke God. Instead of them telling the people to, 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 to reject them and, and to protect them from it, instead we see the priests were profiting from it. Look at verse 8 of that passage. It says, They, speaking of the priests, they feed on the sin of my people and are greedy for their iniquity. You know, when the people would sin, they would bring a, 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 an offering, a sacrifice to the priest who would offer it on their behalf, and, and the priest would be able to keep a portion of that sacrifice for themselves. So, of course, the more the people sin, the more sacrifices they brought, the more the priest profited. And that's what God is saying here. You're profiting from the sin of my people. And I think it should be reminded to us all that we need to measure all that we hear, particularly so-called Christian teaching, by the Word of God, and not according to what feels right to us or which appeals to the majority. His leaders in Israel, God's leaders, have failed his people. And God told his leaders to account, but also we need to recognize that the people have their own responsibility as well. They need to filter themselves what it is they were hearing and make their own choices. Laid the blame at the, at the feet of the priest, particularly God then goes on to speak about the consequences of the people's sin. And we're going to skip here through to, to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, where it says this. It says, Hear this, O priest, pay attention, O house of Israel, nor to all the people. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. God is covering all of the all of the society here. The priests, the leaders, the, the ruling leaders, the people themselves. God is, is saying, He's pointing out that all of the people are guilty of being unfaithful to God. It reminds us, doesn't it, of Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's interesting if you read through the, the book of, of Hosea here, how many sort of references it has. So how many, how many um, um, similarities it has to the book of Romans? Probably something for you to do, perhaps stuff you know, the coming weeks, to read through Hosea and, and, and Romans and sort of see how the two sort of pair up. There are so many similarities in these people, this Old Testament and this New Testament book. Everyone is guilty before God because of their sin. And because of God's holiness and His righteousness demand that His judge Both the people's rejection of God. Sorry, put that next slide. The people's rejection of God and their resultant wickedness would result in God using the nation of the spirit as his tool of judgment. But not only would he use the nation of the spirit, but but this passage points out something quite stark in that it says that even that God Himself would be against His people. Look at verses 11 to 14 of chapter 7. It says, When Ephraim saw his sickness and due to his wounds, and Ephraim went to Assyria and said to the great king, But he is not able to cure you or heal your wounds, God said. For I, speaking of himself, I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and none shall rescue. 
God was, you know, speaks of himself in this, in this particular verse. There's a line, but if you go back a few verses, it speaks of, of God as being, you know, a, a moth and a dry rod. In other words, a destroyer of his people. And the most disturbing and terrifying aspect of this particular passage is that God says that not only will be against his people, but he will ultimately withdraw himself from his people. Look at verse 6. It says, With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord. They shall come in with the sacrifices to seek the Lord. But they will not find him, for he has withdrawn from them. Rejecting the knowledge of God, rejecting the, 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 the wisdom of God, rejecting God Himself results in tremendous, uh, tremendous threat and danger for, 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 for us as people. But God says that He will be against them, that He will in fact not only be against them, but ultimately He will withdraw Himself from them. I have to say this morning that there is no greater, no more desperate situation to find oneself in than to be God's enemy and for him to withdraw himself from us. Our sin, our, our spiritual adultery, our rejection of God, our rejection of the knowledge of God has serious, serious consequences. The encouraging aspect in this is that although God has said that He has done that, you know, the judgment is coming, we need to recognize that the judgment is driven out of God's love for His people. He wants them to recognize the, the, the wrong path that they're on and to turn away from it before it's too late. But God loves His people enough to warn them of His coming judgment and give them the opportunity to turn back to Him. God speaks of his judgment as, as discipline in, in, in chapter 5 and verse 2. Where it says, In the revolutions of God, deep in this world, that I will discipline them. Hebrews reminds us that says, you know, that, 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 that God is our Father, he disciplines his children, he disciplines those who are. God doesn't want to punish his people because he loves them, but, he, but he's a holy God and he's got to punish unrighteousness. He's got to punish sin. And yet God continually goes after his people in love, offering grace and forgiveness if they'll just turn, if they'll just repent, if they'll just admit their need for him, if they'll admit their sin. So all throughout Hosea and even throughout the whole Bible, we see that, that God ultimately desires that people would turn to Him in confession and repentance and faith. In fact, God constantly holds out 
is free gift of, of, of salvation, of forgiveness, of the promise of eternal life. But we can only find that through God's way, not through man's way. It can only be found through faith in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ. There is, not, there is only one way that leads to God. There is only one way that leads to reconciliation with God. And that is through Jesus. Jesus himself said to his disciples in John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the one who took upon himself the righteous judgment of God for sin. The one on whom God would pour out his wrath and ultimately withdraw from there on the cross. He's the perfect priest offering the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And in him is all the fullness of the knowledge of God. And it is through faith in him that we are made righteous before God redeemed, never to be forsaken or condemned. That passage that, um, that Isaac read out to us in the children's talk this morning, talking in the future time when God says, but I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. We can only embrace the fullness of that promise that we embrace Jesus with us. There's one more aspect I just want to share with us this morning, and that is and it's not in our passage, but it's the confidence that we can have. Because as we read through this passage and we see that the sin of the Israelites, we see their sin is our sin. We know we're just like them. And we can never produce the kind of faithfulness and steadfast love and righteousness in ourselves that God's holiness demands. But Jesus has done it for us. And if as we trust in Him, and as we submit our lives to Him, that we find comfort and peace and hope. It doesn't mean that we will just live there however we please, thinking that it doesn't matter because God can just forgive us anyway. But know us is as we grow in our knowledge of God's amazing love and graces towards us through Jesus, that we will want to live lives that please Him, that reflect His holiness and righteousness, and we also want to seek to tell others the good news of the wonderful hope that we have found in Jesus, the wonderful forgiveness that we have found in Jesus, the wonderful assurance and confidence that we have found in Jesus. We've sung about it today, folks. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I want a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, princess of God, Is it your story? Is that your story today? It needs to be found. But knowledge of God is the most important knowledge that any of us could ever have. For without it, we perish. And that's the big idea of the sermon today, folks. Without the knowledge of God, people perish. When we reject the knowledge of God, when we reject 
the love and the faithfulness and the goodness of God, we perish. We suffer. And those around about us suffer. So our prayer should be today that God would give us the grace to grow more and more in the knowledge of Him and of His Son, Jesus Christ. Shouldn't that be our prayer? Shouldn't that be our prayer? To grow in the knowledge of God. But here's the challenge this week, for each and every one of us. Is it, how are you going to do that? How are you going to grow in the knowledge of God this week? What things are you going to put in place in your life that will help you to grow in the knowledge of God and in the, in, in the knowledge of His love for you? And it was the result in you living what in, in life that actually pleased you and being rid of that stuff that you know not want to What things are you going to do this way? Yes, the Bible, Jules, I encourage that to Get in the Bible, get in the Word of God. Put something in place if you like, in your life if it's not already there to be in the Word of God daily. But don't just read it for the sake of reading it. Read it. Meditate upon it. You over it. Ask questions of the text. Ask, what does this mean for me in my context today? What is God wanting from me in my life today? What is God wanting me to turn away from? What is God wanting me to turn to? Get people praying for one another. Get people praying for you that, that you will grow in the knowledge of God. Start talking to one another about how you are growing in your knowledge of God and how they are growing in the knowledge of God. Start having these spiritual conversations with one another. Start sharing these sorts of things with one another. Don't just keep it to yourself. But don't go away from, from, from here today having heard a message about, you know, without knowledge of God, people say, and that's it. All you take away is just that big idea just, just, just there in your mind. But put concrete steps in place in your life today that will help you grow in the knowledge of God. Will you do that? Father God, we just start on this morning. Again, for your grace, Lord, because we know that in of ourselves, Lord, our desire you know, is, is, is not really for knowledge of you, but to go in our own ways and, and to, to, to go after our own passions and our own simple desires and things like that. But yet, Lord, as your word reminds us today, if we continue to go that way, all it does is, is it just harms us. And it harms those around about us. Father, help us to, to come to you today. And Lord, if we've been living that kind of way, help us, Lord, to come to you today and confess that before you and, and, and to ask for your forgiveness, Lord. And Lord, to ask for your help in, in walking in ways which, which indeed will, will help us to grow in our knowledge of you. And Lord, help us to grow in ways that we live on you and please you. Lord, we need your help desperately. So, Lord, we pray you might just be pleased to pour out the Spirit in our lives this week and in the days ahead. Lord, help us to, to know that you are with us. But, Lord, that through Jesus Christ, when we, even when we do fail, that we can come to you and know that, Lord, as we confess our sins, we, we forgive, we cleanse, we set free from the guilt, from the shame. And instead, Lord, we're renewed in our relationship with you. Ready for, for that next stage in the 
Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.